Hi, it's Ben Modell, silent film accompanist and historian, and this is the Silent Film Music Podcast. Welcome, or welcome back. Thanks for subscribing, thanks for finding the podcast, and thanks for clicking on the link that I or a friend of yours must have posted somewhere online. The Silent Film Music Podcast is produced in association with the Silent Film Sound and Music Archive, or SIFSMA. That's www.sfsma.org. The Silent Film Sound and Music Archive is an online resource where you can search for, find, and download PDFs of vintage silent film music cues, cue sheets, and instructional manuals, all items published in the silent film era. SIFSMA was launched by and is run by Dr. Kendra Leonard, my partner in crime on this podcast. Thank you, Kendra. This podcast is something I created as an extension of or replacement for my blog. It'll save me having to type things, articulate things into words that then have to make sense as written prose. I want to give a shout out to Will McKinley for recommending the Audio-Technica USB mic that I am now using. So if I sound better than I did in the first several episodes, there you have it. On today's episode, we'll be talking a little bit about shows I've played recently, shows I've got coming up. We'll have the second and final installment of my interview with nonagenarian film pianist Harry Weiss, who... Well, by the time you hear this, we'll have just turned 98 years old. And we'll talk a little bit about the acoustic challenges of accompanying silent movies. Or at least the challenges that I face in a specific type of space. Shows I've played in the last week or two include Within Our Gates at the Cinema Arts Center. The Cinema Arts Center has been around for around 40 years, and I've been playing at their theater on a monthly basis since the end of 2006. The Cinema Arts Center is on Long Island, and if you live on Long Island and have not been there or are not aware that there's a silent film series, do come and check it out. We show silent film once a month, almost always on 35mm, and when it's not on 35mm, it's a DCP of a new restoration. We have variable speed projection, and as of, I think, five or six years ago, theater, accom- theater organ accompaniment in every show. I started out playing piano there, but once I s- talked to them about the Miditzer virtual theater organ, they, like MoMA, bought the equipment for me so that I just show with my laptop and there's a keyboards, MIDI, organ pedals, stand, etc. We put it all together, plug it into the house sound system, and it sounds like we've installed a Wurlitzer. And about a year ago, I began using, instead of the Miditzer software, the Hauptwerk software running the Paramount Theater Organ Works uh, samples, which really, really are fantastic. Within Our Gates is a film we showed uh, for Black History Month. got the print in 35mm from the Library of Congress. Last year for Black History Month, we showed The Flying Ace, a film made at the Norman Studios in Florida in the late 1920s, again, running a 35mm print from the Library of Congress. 
I also did a pair of programs for kids and families and seniors at the Palace Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. This is the second year I've done this, and it was a lot of fun. The program was sort of spearheaded by the artistic director, B.T. McNichol, a long, long-time silent film fan, a huge fan of Harold Lloyd. And the Stamford Palace, the Palace Theater was opened in the late 1920s, I think 1927, and while we don't do our shows in the big room, uh, they've created a mini theater in the upstairs lobby, and it's it's a it's a lot of fun. And I'll uh, be sharing a brief performance clips so you'll get to hear some of the music and children's laughter from that program. Also did a show at the Osborne in Rye, New York. And the Osborne is a senior living facility. And if you have not thought of presenting silent comedy films at a place like like this, definitely check it out. Definitely try it. It's a kind of entertainment that seniors actually don't get uh, exp- exposed to too much. Uh, and the kind of belly laughs that they get out of these shows is so uh, rewarding. It's something that people say to me at these shows Uh, Every time I do them, they say, we don't get to laugh like this, and they really appreciate it. I showed Grandma's Boy with Harold Lloyd, and as always, it was was a huge huge hit, and I'll be playing a recording uh, sample from my performance there as well. There are plenty of places like this around, and there's more and more of them popping up, and in particular, if there's an independent living segment uh, at the facility... Um, these things go over really, really well, and I encourage you to check it out yourself. Here for our first performance clip is a segment of my recording from the show we did at the Palace Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. Here, live in performance, yours truly on a Yamaha upright, playing for Charlie Chaplin in The Adventurer.
yours truly accompanying Charlie Chaplin in The Adventurer, live in performance at the Stamford Palace Theatre, or really the Palace Theatre in Stamford, in Stamford, Connecticut, in an upstairs gallery slash lobby space in February 2015. Program of shorts geared to kids and families. The piano you hear is an Yamaha upright. Clearly needs to be tuned, uh, but it's still a, a nice instrument. I recorded that with my Zoom H4 recorder sitting on top of the piano, pointing out into the audience. I'm trying new techniques to record in such a way that you hear the piano well, but also hear the audience laughter. And in this case, I wanted that because there were a lot of kids in the audience. And it's one of the questions I get a lot. Oh, do kids like this? And yes, indeed, they do. One of the other things I like uh, about Yamaha pianos, if I may, uh, from my years as a piano tuner, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I tuned pianos for about three or four years. Yamaha pianos, to me, it's like they want to be tuned. Uh, there's just something about them that uh, they just, at least from my experience, they, they it's like they cooperate. It's like they want to be tuned. Um, I, I've tuned pianos that fought back, that didn't want to be tuned. Uh, usually, you know, worn out school pianos, but I played, you know, tuned a bunch of different instruments, and um, I, I found that Yamaha's, uh, I spent, it took me a little less time than the other brands. Um, anyway, that's just a little insight for you, and but you didn't know I was a piano tuner. The show I did, and I, we did a one o'clock and a three o'clock, so there, there, were, there were two shows. I found myself challenged with something that I often am uh, with with piano shows and in a space where I find I have a hard time hearing the audience even though I'm you know not that far from them uh, it sometimes throws me especially with the comedy film and I wind up overplaying a little and sometimes I, I wind up overplaying just either out of out of nerves or out of excitement, uh, getting caught up with the film. Or if I feel the score is going badly, I, I may overcompensate in that way. It's a real challenge for comedies because you, you want them to go over well. And if you can't hear the audience laugh, you feel, at least for me, I feel like, God, it's bombing. I have to work a little harder uh, to make the the feel of the film more buoyant and it's quite possible that I overcompensate. I, I find often that the shows where I feel the score has gone really, really badly and was really disappointed with it um, are shows when I get more compliments from people after the show. So I've learned to tell myself if I feel like the score is going really horribly, it's probably going well to the same degree that I think it's going poorly. But it is something that I'm always conscious of, of overplaying. It's, you know, it's something that goes through, through my mind as I'm playing. And it, it sometimes takes me out of what I'm doing a little bit because I become self-aware. And I'll talk a little bit more. I mean, I challenged myself and, and was faced with this at the show I did of Grandma's Boy. And I'll talk a little bit more 
about that when we play that clip uh, later on in the, sh- in the podcast. But first, here is part two of my interview with Harry Weiss. Part one you heard in the previous episode of the podcast, and if you haven't heard it, download episode nine and you'll hear it. Harry Weiss was the first silent film pianist at the Cinema Arts Center starting in the mid-70s and played there for about 15 years. He's just turned 98, and it's been a privilege to to know him and stay in touch with him and, and swap stories and that sort of thing. Here now, part two of my interview with Harry Weiss. So you really didn't pick up uh, film accompaniment again until you started playing at the Cinema Arts Center? Cinem- uh, no, at the Cinema, yeah. Yeah. And that was in the 1970s. I played there for 15 years. Yeah. Or more, 15 years. And then, of course, the result of playing there, I played at a lot of the local libraries. Mm-hmm. I played at the South Street Seaport. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got a little work here and there playing in different places. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I just did it as a sideline. I didn't make you know big deal out. Sure, but what I what I did mm-hmm. was be, because I was doing so much of this, I would want to know what the movie was about before I played it. Right. I didn't see it. The sure. First time I played it, I didn't see the movie. Mm. So I would get a, try to get a synopsis of a story, you know, mm-hmm. and get an idea of what kind of themes I could write for it. Sure. Use. And uh, and that's what I that's what I did. Yeah, I had a whole collection. Mm-hmm. I have a whole collection of, of themes for comedies and, uh, and uh, dramatic films and so forth. Yeah, so you'd write up your own themes and then improvise. I write my own themes, and I I see if they work fine. I develop them as I play them. Mm-hmm. I, I enlarged on them, so I I did that seriously. Uh, I'd write write a theme that I thought might apply to to the romantic area mm-hmm. in a film. Yeah, as I read the story. Yeah, or to something exciting, something terrible, drastic happens. Yes, yeah. and I'd write some ideas, uh, and then I would take them with me when I went to play the film. Mm-hmm. So I can remember. And then if they didn't work, it didn't work. I'd do something else. <laughs> right, right. No, I find the same thing because sometimes you'll you'll before when you're re- re- preparing in in your mind it'll make sense, and then during the show it'll feel completely wrong. Sometimes what, what I did is Joe Ravalk said the Joe mm-hmm. Joe Ravalk. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, I did prepare any I prepared one scene I thought for her. Mm-hmm. But then as I played it, I realized that the movie was really a lot of close ups of her. So I played to that. I didn't play any Anything that would be recognizable later on, let's say, you know, sure. repeat or something. Yeah. I was just following her motions. Yeah. And the things that, she, her face. And I worked on that, and that's how I worked on the film. You know, you, you, can't, you can't always tell what's going to happen. Right, right. You have to be flexible yeah. sometimes. You know, I, I know the Don Warren thing. That mm-hmm. was, John, was it John Barrymore? John Barrymore, yeah. Yeah, Don Warren. I'm going to play Don Juan. I said, okay, great. I'm going to open up the movie that way. The movie opens up as a medieval Italy. Yeah. <laughs> At a ball. Right, there's a, there's a sort of a prologue. Yeah. So I, I went into a gavotte. Right. I changed. I hope nobody remembers the, uh, the stuff I was playing before. Right. You never know what could happen, you know, these things. And I think you told me you uh, you knew Lee Irwin. Did you? Oh, sure, yeah. And how did you know him? 
Well, from you had a well, you had a business at a, a running well, a recording I was studio. In a recording studio. You had a recording studio. And he used to come in and, and he record organ stuff for uh, for the soap operas and stuff uh -huh. like that. Yeah. And we talked. Sure. Yeah. And we agreed over there. I wasn't bring that up. We agreed. You don't play music that people recognize. Exactly. Unless it's it's, it's indicated on the screen. Right. That was one of his big rules. I remember. Yeah, and uh, because uh, you know when I did the the Seagull of Baghdad, mm -hmm. but that, that's an easy one to to do the Shahrazad. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I heard I heard I heard of a uh, I did see a movie. Mm -hmm. I mean a, a rendition of that with the Shahrazad, mm -hmm. played by a big orchestra. Yeah. It was on the screen. I mean, it was part of the thing. Yeah. And I said, he's crazy. They start to do something. They don't finish it because scene changes. Right. And people are listening. They're listening to the music. Right. And then they're not following what's going on the screen. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, oh, the, the, that's that. the, the, the one of the, the, the... Yeah, with existing music, it doesn't really fit the film a, yeah, a lot but, of the time. But I did find out, uh, I did find that people didn't know a lot of the songs that were on the screen. When I did the Iron Horse, you mm -hmm. know that one? Yeah. Uh, the, the workers are working on the railroad there, mm -hmm. and they're singing, you tarry his drill. Right. Well, as soon as I saw that, I started to play, drill, you tarry his drill. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen, you know, I didn't see the movie before then. Yeah. And, uh, and then Buster Keaton, with, uh, what was what was about, was the boat? Steve, yeah. I think it was Jr. Yeah. He comes over from college. And yeah, that's Steamboat Bill, yeah. yeah. Well, when he was in prison, he was trying to help his father, and on this wall... Oh, the prisoner's song. They had the prisoner's song. Right. I thought to play the prisoner's song. Yeah. Nobody knew it. Right, nobody knows it. <laughs> yeah, what I usually do is I, I, I'll play it during the opening titles, but in an upbeat yeah. sort of way, so it sounds like opening title music, and so... Yeah, People don't right. think of it, and then when it comes back around, maybe that's subconsciously right. it'll sound familiar to them. Yeah. And in the wind, do you know the wind? Yeah. Uh, Learning ish, this guy sings, uh, me not uh, on the old Yeah. Well, I didn't play it like a like a cowboy song. Okay. I played it, uh, sort of playing around with it. Mm hmm To put it, make it as part of the scene. Mm hmm But not being important, that right. important. Yeah. You know, it's just suggesting it. Yeah, because it was being surrounded by wind, you know, all kind of wind, all that kind. Of right, because yeah, the moment isn't really about a cowboy song so much. That's right. Right, I mean, the dramatic, right. the drama of the scene. I, I played it with different harmonies. Mm. You know, uh, I sort of developed it a little bit. Yeah. So that it was just as a background. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are things you do. Uh, what's her name? Greta Garbo. Yeah. And uh, flesh the devil. Uh, when she sinks. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I really built that built that up. Yeah. I built that up with her theme. Yeah. I had a theme that far that I ran through the movie. Yeah. See, and I played it in different ways mm. depending on how she was reacting to different situations. Yeah. And when I built that up, I really built it up so, boy, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, some of the movies were really interesting mm. that way, like uh, Rocket to the Moon. Mm. No, it was a rocket to the moon. Woman on the Moon. Woman in the Moon, yeah. Did you, did you ever play that one? Yeah, I'm sure I played it at least once. Well, that one, I, I, uh, I sort of music was a little on the modern side. Yeah. You know, 
full, complete, big fat chords. Yeah. I have a, as a matter of fact, I recorded a, a, a short version of that theme mm. that I used for her. Mm. I used for the. I build it up like crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a recording of that. Mm. I recorded that. Hey, you know, I ought to send you that. Oh, I'd love to hear it. I have a recording of some of the things I did for Solid Films. I'd love to hear that stuff. But that was before 1983. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I recorded it in 1983. Okay. And, uh, on, my, on my sideways. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll send that. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to hear that. Along with the new stuff that I want to send you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's just, it's just always uh, been okay. great to co connect with you because... Uh, we what I, what I find amazing is that we have a similar philosophy about yeah. what works and what doesn't work with silent film, and uh, I, I sort of have your old job at the Cinema Arts Center accompanying silent films, and I always tell our audiences that, I, that I'm in touch with you, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great hearing your stories. I'm just curious, what, what was the name of your recording studio? United Recording. United Recording, okay. I worked originally for audio video recording, which was also big, but they went broke. Mm. Something happened there. And I went to work for United Recording. Mm -hmm. And we worked for all the big advertising agencies. Yeah. You know, so I did a lot of work. Mm. Music editing. And then I wrote the jingle mm -hmm. for Lincoln Mercury. Oh. Ah. <laughs> did you know that? I think you mentioned that to me before. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 1965. Mm. It was with that money that I bought the Steinway Grand. Wow. <laughs> My wife's idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh! But I tell you, you go back. You you know how old I'm getting to be now. Um. Well, you're turning ninety-eight, 98 next month. Yeah. Two in two weeks. In two weeks. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm glad we had a chance to chat, and I appreciate you um, coming on to the, the podcast. No, I think I just really wanted to, you know, have you share your your memories of playing for films and your philosophy of accompanying films since you were, you know, someone who's been doing this for as long as you have and, you know, having grown up seeing silent films firsthand and everything, I thought that people might yeah, be interested to hear that. Uh, a, a quick, got a quick, got a time for a quick story? Yeah. There's a film called His People, mm -hmm. which is an old silent film about a family on the east side, His People. Yes. The two sons. Mm -hmm. One is becoming a boxer. Mm -hmm. Well, it's strange. I saw this as a silent film with my father. Mm. I was a kid, maybe seven years old. Yeah. I played it. <laughs> I played it years later in, uh, somewhere on, the, on, on Long Island, mm -hmm. near Huntington. I forgot yeah. what the title was. Near Huntington. Uh, for some group. Mm-hmm. Well, when I saw that, I said, what a corny, <laughs> corny picture this is. And the, the one thing I'd never forget about that picture mm -hmm. was when uh, the son, the boxer, mm -hmm. son, goes to his brother's wedding or whatever it was, and uh, he says to him, you dared to defy your father, mm -hmm. but I dare you to defy me. Mm -hmm. And to have... A kid on the east side, New York, mm -hmm. a fight, a kid who fights in the streets yeah. to come up with language like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's where you grew up, wasn't it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up on the east side. Yeah. 
Sure, I used to hang around Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. People would take me in to, to, to come. Would you believe that? Take me in to hear the symphony? Wow. I'd stand sheepishly near the entrance, you know. Yeah. In the afternoon, on a Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. People called, you know, take me in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to go to all all the things in New York, you know, mm -hmm. Times Square. I was I used to hang around all these places. Yeah. The Grand Central Palace. You know. mm. So I was involved with all kinds of things. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Harry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll call you. I'll call you to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Part two of my interview with Harry Weiss. Just turned 98 years old. Silent film pianist, jazz musician, etc., etc., great to have him on the podcast. I have considered having uh, other people on uh, for interviews on the podcast, and I may do that later on in the year. I wanted to get this particular interview done sooner than later. Harry's 98, and I wanted you to get to meet him and hear his story. Following up what I was saying earlier about uh, piano piano tuning it's it's something that's come in handy i always i i have a you know i have a piano tuning lever in some of the equipment uh, i don't bring all of it with me to shows when i'm playing an acoustic piano but i'll bring the tuning lever and a couple of mutes um so often when i arrive at a, a venue the piano will have been tuned and a couple of notes will have slid out of place a little bit it happens. Uh, piano, like a theater organ, it's like a, it's a, almost like a, it's a living organism. You can do the best you can as a tuner, and then it'll rain and then get really cold and dry uh, between the tuning and the show. It's sometimes in the same day, and a couple a couple notes will just go, yeah, the heck with it, and the pins will just jiggle a little bit, and uh, they just it'll just sound weird nothing to do with the job the tuner has done it's just the piano's own idiosyncrasies and so I don't mind spending three or four minutes tidying a couple of uh, unisons up a unison is you know if, if uh, each note has three usually three strings and the lower bass notes typically have two and it's what you call uh, one note but it's three strings you refer to it as a unison if it's a, a really important show I mean I, I, I'll, I'll do a major tidying uh, if I've got the time but it's important I think for the audience for the piano to sound as good as it can and I figure as long as I know how to do this then why not I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about audience building it's something that you can do and you can participate in it one of the things I always mention at a show uh, especially when I see kids is that uh, the I tell the audience that they're participating in an aspect of film preservation that doesn't really get discussed much and which is audience preservation. If you, you know, if you brought your kids cuz you know, kids are not going to voluntarily with one or two exceptions of some kids I know, uh voluntarily go to see a silent film. Um if you bring kids to a silent film program, they'll get to see how much fun it is and and that helps because then the next time an opportunity comes up, they're not going to go, ew, yuck. Well, the same thing goes for grown-ups. Um, because, let's face it, the genre name silent film is 
it's pretty off-putting to most people. Uh, and I've actually taken to not using the word silent when I've promoted shows, at least for a newer audience or novice audience. I just say classic films from the 1920s with live music. It takes longer to say, but when, when somebody hears silent, they immediately think they're going to be sitting in a library holding their breath. Uh, you might as well say no fun movies to some people. What I wanted to talk about as far as audience building is that it's something that you can do, that everybody can do. A lot of times when I talk to people after a show where maybe the turnout hasn't been so great, and sometimes people will say, well, why didn't they advertise more? Or was this advertised? Or was this listed in the paper? There's only so much that advertising or newspaper listings can do, even though newspapers are also online. Um there's something that you can do which is that if you have been to a show a silent film show whether I don't care if it it was me or one of my colleagues uh, when you get home or even when in the lobby of the theater take out your smartphone and just post a link on Facebook or Twitter or something and say I just saw this you know insert silent film name uh, accompanied by so-and-so at such-and-such a theater and I had a great time or something like that it's kind of like the way voting works. If everybody does this, it'll help with a ripple effect outward, and you'll help build uh, an, the audience that way. You'll help, because you never know who's seeing your postings and who may reshare them with other people. And the more people see something over, it's like erosion. You know, The more they see it over and over, maybe by the fifth or sixth time, they'll think, oh, uh, maybe I should go to one of these, because so-and-so keeps going and saying how good it is. So I encourage you heartily uh, to do that. Uh, you may not feel comfortable doing it. Oh, I don't want to stick my neck out. I, it's too, it's too show-offy or whatever. But you know, if you love these movies and believe in seeing them in a theater, the best thing a theater owner or programmer can see at a show is bodies in the theater. And the more you can do to help get bodies into the theater, the better it is here now live in performance with our our next and final recording is a, from a performance I did at the Osborne in Rye accompanying Grandma's Boy and again this is a, a, a situation I tried a different uh, setup again I'm recording with the Zoom H4 and instead of putting it on the piano pointing into the piano and not on the piano pointing out into the audience uh, I tried something where I, I put it on a chair about four feet away upstage from where the piano was on an angle pointing toward the piano and also at the audience hoping to pick up the laughs although I found myself unable to hear people laughing at almost at all although I know they were laughing and uh, people came up to me afterwards and told me how much how funny the film was um, it, again it may have just been the acoustics of the speech it's a beautiful auditorium there uh it's really, really a nice space with a, a, a stage, and this year there's now a Steinway L. There's a Steinway L piano. Um, again, I brought my tuning lever and tidied up a couple notes. It had been tuned the week before, so it's in, it was in pretty decent shape. And once again, you know, it's one of these things, especially with the Harold Lloyd film, you expect, you know, you know where the laughs are, you expect the laughs in certain places, and when you don't hear them, it, at least for me, it throws me a little. And... Um, I have to keep reminding myself, um, just because you can't hear the laughs doesn't mean they're not there, and you have to keep 
scoring the film just as if you, you know, had mics over the audience plugging into a hearing aid in your left ear. Um, so, and this is, you know, some of the things that go through your head during a show, at least at least during during a show for me. Um, here is a sequence live in performance at the Osborne in Rye playing a Steinway L of Grandma's Boy with Harold Lloyd. Boy, yours truly, at a Steinway L piano. Again, if you have never thought of going into a senior living facility as a guest presenter and then showing a comedy film, whether it's a silent film or a classic comedy film from the 30s or 40s, I heartily encourage you to take yourself up on your desire to share classic comedy films with people and do this. One of the questions I get every time I play at a place like this is, when are you coming back? Uh, they've had such a good time, and you know, laughing the way you do at a silent comedy film for an hour is very therapeutic for everybody, but uh, in particular, people who live in, in the senior living uh, places, it's really therapeutic and a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I, I encourage you to give it a shot. I have a number of uh, shows coming up where you can come and hear me play or tell your friends. If you know anybody in Northern Virginia, I'll be at the Library of Congress Packard Campus Theater on March 5th and March 6th. I've been 
one of the regular accompanists there for the last five years and always look forward to going back. On March 5th, I will be accompanying Leap Year with Roscoe Arbuckle, one of his last feature films and was only uh, released in England, I believe. I think the original title for it was Skirt Shy and unfortunately, like a lot of Roscoe's films, uh, the title takes on a different meaning after the scandal. Films like The Traveling Salesman and Fatty's Wine Party and He Didn't, He Didn't. It's it's unfortunate, uh, but it's a, it's a fun film, uh, and the film will be uh, on the same program with two shorts, also from 1921, pr- chosen by Rob Stone, a programmer for the theater, as well as a film curator and preservationist there. Uh, Rob's picked The Bakery with Larry Seaman and their dizzy finish with The Hall Room Boys. I can't remember which comedians are The Hall Room Boys in this iteration of The Hall Room Boys in 1921. I know Sid Smith is one of them. All the films are in 35mm, and I'll be accompanying the show on the theater's Walker Digital Wurlitzer. I will be using the same instrument the following day, Saturday, March 7th, to accompany The Patent Leather Kid with Richard Barthelmas. And I've just seen that film recently. Uh, I accompanied it at MoMA in the fall of 2014 during their Great War series of films about World War I. I'll also be up in Syracuse, and maybe you will be too, for the 35th annual and final Cinefest Classic Film Convention. If you've never been to one of these and it's not too far out of your way and you have the time and finances, you should definitely check it out. It's at a hotel, the Holiday Inn in Liverpool, New York. It's the next town over from Syracuse. Uh, But it's a great place to see a lot of classic film from the teens through the 40s or 50s. Uh, Films shown from archival prints and collector prints, things that are really not going to see a DVD release. And you'll get to see them in a theatrical setting. Um, You'll get to meet a lot of people who, like you, like classic film. There's a dealer's room where you can buy 16mm prints, and there are tables set up for um, people who have written books, or people like me, or Tom Stathis, or Bruce Lawton, who have our own small DVD labels where you can buy our our releases. And, And there's memorabilia, and lobby cards and and all sorts of stuff it's it's a lot of fun and this year because it's the last one ever um, they've invited as many of the accompanists who have played at the cinefest over the years to come and participate the roster so far is uh me philip carley makia matsumura john marsalis jeff rapsis judith rosenberg Andrew Simpson and Gabriel Thibodeau. So it's it's a real uh, great chance for you to to hear everybody in person, uh, meet a lot of people, see a lot of great film, and definitely worth checking out. Uh, the Silent Clowns film series on March 14th will present a program of Harold Lloyd comedy shorts, some of which will be in 35 millimeter prints from the Library of Congress. Uh, including a couple of Lonesome Luke shorts that you probably have never seen. Definitely worth checking out, making a trip into the city if you live outside of New York City.
Thanks for listening. This is the Silent Film Music Podcast, Episode 10. I am Ben Modell. Follow me on Twitter at, at Silent Film Music. I'm on Facebook. Send me an email. And if you have not posted a review on iTunes for this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. It helps spread the word by posting reviews. I'd love to hear from you. Any suggestions, again, uh, about the podcast? There are about, at this point, about 75, 80 people listening, and you're one of them, and I'd like to get your feedback to make the podcast even better than it actually is right now. All the music and the entire content that you've heard in the podcast is copyright 2015 by Ben Modell, all rights reserved. Visit my website, silentfilmmusic.com, to see my upcoming performance schedule and other information, and visit my YouTube channel and subscribe, which is youtube.com slash silentfilmmusic. And I'll be posting uh, silent film shorts there. I'm trying to get back into the swing of posting things there, and I have a couple things uh, newly posted in late February February, February, February and March. This is Ben Modell saying thank you to Dr. Kendra Leonard and Sifsma.org. And most importantly, thank you for listening. This is the Silent Film Music Podcast. I'll see you at the silence.